We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. 98. 98, Chris. That's the number of days standing between you, me, and real live Buffalo Bills football. It is kind of cool thinking that they, they opened the season, right? Yeah, 98 days. Can't wait. Now, the last time we got together for a podcast, Reed Ferguson was in studio, which is made possible by the fact that players were reporting for workouts and OTAs across the entire NFL have started up, puts it, just putting us one step closer in this process of ending the NFL offseason and getting back to actual football. And well, obviously, it's just OTAs, right? There's no, there, Chris, there's nothing groundbreaking really happening at OTAs, is there? I can tell you one thing that's happening. What's that? Punt God. Oh, God. We're going to talk about that. We got a lot. We'd still have some talking points that I think are worth diving into. At least, at least while sucking down a few cold ones, kicking back and trying to burn off another day or two of this 98 day stretch, right? Mm hmm. Right. And so with that, I think the place to start, though, like, I think one of the most fun stories for Bills fans over the last week and a half, two weeks, has been the absence of their quarterback from OTAs and why he was absent from OTAs in regards to the match, quote-unquote. And, Chris, it's funny. We now live in an era where a Bills quarterback skipped a big chunk of OTAs and no one cares. No one cares. No one's mad in the least. I want you to think about what that... Like, first of all, if EJ Manuel didn't show up for OTAs, how pissed would you have been? 
I'd be very pissed. How crazy is it that we have a guy who's pr- already proven he's so talented that when he doesn't show up, no one no one bats an eye at it? Or it's like, oh, he's good. Nah. Josh Allen we're talking about here. And think about what that means in terms of what else is going on in the AFC right now. The Browns, they've got a problem, right? This Deshaun Watson thing isn't going away. In fact, it's only getting b- bigger. What, they added two more cases? One or two. One or two. So, first of all, they don't know who their week one starter is going to be. And when Watson is out there right now and he's saying all the right things, he's giving away watches, he's he's being as magnanimous as possible. He's giving away $5,000, that's for sure. <laughs> Nobody knows when they're going to see him take the field in a Browns uniform in a meaningful capacity. Meanwhile, Baker Mayfield has 18 million reasons to stay the fuck away from football. But that's it, it doesn't get any cut more cut and dry than that. You, you hear people going back and forth on social media. Well, if he wants to, you know, his stock and if he wants to do this and that. Don't you think he probably learned like through this experience of the Browns kind of like, hey, we want you to die on your shield for us. Oh, by the way, we're not happy with how that went, so we kind of button hooked you. We traded for another quarterback, and we're not going to. Like, we're obviously not retaining you. He has every reason to just sit home, right? Yeah. To sit home, and I don't know, get off Twitter. Don't listen to these idiot fans. Go home. Watch watch Stranger Things. I mean, that is if Ohio has Netflix or high-speed internet at all. Chris, I don't know what that state does and doesn't have. They have AT&T, that's for sure. All I know is that I I assume that a state that could produce an abnormal number of serial killers while also managing to set one of its largest rivers on fire might not exactly be considered, quote-unquote, cutting edge. Okay, So I don't want to make any assumptions about the state of Ohio here. Uh, And then you go, what, to to the east? The Ravens have an actual problem. Like, if that wasn't an issue, somehow the Ravens have trumped them. They have a franchise quarterback who isn't attending practices with no real explanation as to why other than he'll be there when he feels like it. Do you think that's a problem? It is. I'll tell you why it's a problem. It's a problem contractually because he doesn't have, he has like what, one more year left on his deal? Isn't he? Well, no, he was drafted the same year that uh, Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield were. I was he'd be going into his fifth year option. Yeah, so he's playing. as far as I know, he doesn't have an extension. No, so, so he's, that's a problem. His salary is guaranteed. They can dock money for him not being there. But this contract thing is weird because usually when you see this, Chris, it's because like a player and their agent can't figure something out, uh, like a player and their agent and what the team wants, and they're far apart on the number. And by agent, we mean mother. Well, that's the problem. Right? You've got a player who's trying to negotiate his own contract and apparently has stopped talking to the team about it. Like, it's one thing if, if the player says, hey, I'm not showing up because I have a number, the team has a number, I don't agree, and we're going to haggle about it. It's another thing to go, hey, for the team to go, hey, we made him an offer to make him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in football, and he's just stopped responding to us. But then also he's not happy and he's going to hold out. That makes no fucking sense. And this is what I, I was talking with a friend at work. This is why you hire an agent. If I'm an agent right now and I'm talking to co- like college kids who are going to be coming out in the draft, which obviously you can't do, quote unquote, 
But if you're out there. Well, if you're Nick Saban. <laughs> if, if you go to sell yourself to any of these kids who are going to get drafted in the 2023 NFL draft class, you point to what's going on with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens right now, and you say, this is why you need me. My job as an agent is to protect you from your football team, make sure that your that your needs are met, that your wants are met, that your contracts are negotiated fairly, and also I'm here to protect you from you because you play football. You don't know anything about money because you don't have any. <laughs> the odds that you have enough money to ever have negotiated a contract, Chris, at the age of 22 as a, co- as a college draftee into the NFL – What's what's the most likely scenario? What kind of a contract would any of these kids have negotiated on their own? I have no idea, but um, I will my I will ask what leverage does Lamar have? None. He's already playing on a fully guaranteed contract this year that can't change. If he wants to be the highest paid quarterback in football, I think the Ravens tried to do that. And he said no, unless he really just doesn't want to play there. So then in that case, you'd think he'd be there trying to, quote-unquote, bet on himself, right? Yeah. The way other quarterbacks who didn't have a deal in place went into their final season and said, I will play, and I'm going to bet on myself that I'm going to have a good enough season to do this. The problem is is that all the quarterbacks who did it before, Kirk Cousins, uh, Dak Prescott, uh, Joe Flacco, they were... First of all, they were on more talented teams. I think I made this point to Nate Geary when he was on our Draft Recap podcast. Um... They had more talent around them than Lamar Jackson's going to have here in 2022. Also, they're quarterbacks who everyone looked at them and said, hey, even if they get hurt, like, look, Dak Prescott broke his leg. But everyone looked at Dak Prescott and said, we know that as long as that broken leg heals, he's going to be a passer that we can account for 4,200 yards out of, minimum. 4,200 yards with some decent talent around him. Lamar Jackson has never cracked 3,300. So he's going to what? Go into a final year and bet on himself where his legs are his only thing. And last year he missed what? Five games? Six games? With lower body injuries? Something like that. Seems like a terrible fucking idea to try to be... Te- oh, and by the way, you're a quarterback with a historically poor completion percentage when throwing to your wide receivers. And you just had a major shakeup of your wide receiver depth chart. You'd think that he'd be there trying to get familiar with these with these new wide receivers because he's going to rely on them to earn his payday, right? If he doesn't think Baltimore's offer is good enough, he's got to earn it from someone. He needs he needs to be on the same page as those guys. So why isn't he there? Yeah, if he's got a uh, contract situation happening, and let's say he ends up, I mean, he's got a couple years of franchise tag, but. I don't I don't know what that number is, but if he were to walk, there's no good teams looking for quarterbacks. You're going to go to like a a mid-level team like a Minnesota, somebody that finishes might finish uh 11 and what what is it? 11 and 6 now. The project 10, 10 and 7. Right now the projected cap number, cap hit for a franchise tag for a quarterback in 2023 is going to be 31.5 million. Are they going to pay that to him? I guess the, the thing is, is that if they've already made him an offer shy of that and he's not taking it, I don't know. If you're the Ravens, you're probably looking at this and going, we could actually pro-. like because that's, I guess, the thing. Like if he didn't if he just didn't want to play for Baltimore and he'd made that known, Baltimore probably would have traded him already. Right. Yeah. We saw a lot of quarterback movement this offseason where quarterbacks yielded 
sizable returns. Yeah. Lamar would have gotten moved if that was the conversation they were having. But there again, does does he even know what he wants in order to crystallize it for the football team? Yeah, where's he going to go? Detroit? No, no, who knows? Houston? It, it would be one of the funniest things in the world. Because they're close to, to, to winning. To watch Lamar Jackson trade, get traded to Detroit. It would be one of the greatest things. Like, I'm a petty man, Chris. Nothing makes me happier than watching a gamble not pay off for somebody if it's a dumb one. <laughs> In that way, it would be one of the greatest things. I, uh, Chris, you look like you've got something on your mind. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but so meanwhile... We hear the Buffalo Bills. We've got this chaos going on in the AFC where t- people are thrashing because quarterbacks aren't there. This player's not there. If you're the Miami Dolphins, Melvin Ingram literally just got signed and sh- got signed to be like some impactful player, at least their fans think. And he shows up and goes, I'm not practicing. What are you talking about? Yeah, no, I'll see you at training camp. It's hilarious. Meanwhile, the Bills are at pretty much full attendance. Uh, Case Keenum is taking snaps at quarterback with nary a whisper from anybody. There isn't a single fan that gives a shit. (laughs) We are one of the few teams in the NFL that can say emphatically that our quarterback is so talented and that our culture is so strong and that our players are so bought in that when guys don't show up, no one cares. We're one of the few teams in the entire NFL that can say that. Yeah, that's why... um this whole t- there's a lot of chatter on Twitter. At least I think you've gotten us involved in it between the Lamar situation and the Josh situation. Completely different. Josh has his money. He signed his contract. He's got a rapport with the coaching staff because we promote from within. Lamar has no leverage. Josh Allen can go golf if he wants to. <laughs> Like that's well, and that's it, I guess, right? That's the other, the, like that's this, that's why this was such a story. He's not at OTAs for quote unquote the match. Now you, like I, we didn't really watch this live. I didn't. There was hockey. Hockey yeah, was on. There was hockey on, and that's what I was doing. But you are someone who watches golf. I uh, if the two golf tournaments that I will watch, wire to wire, would be the. Final round of the Masters and the final round of the United States Open. So on Twitter, I look and Aaron Quinn of Cover One goes, made a comment about how this was unwatchable. Meanwhile, golf fanatic WGR 550 Nagiri comes back and says, oh, my God, this is amazeballs. We're at the we're at the bar with 70 people. And this is so much fun. Are you sure he wasn't Alan's caddy? I think that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle for most people, right? Like, I think people got excited about this event. Like, oh, my God, it's going to be so fun to watch these guys play golf. And then they turn on the TV and go, oh, shit, it's golf. Like, at the end of the day, it's still golf. (laughs) I can watch watch the final round of the Masters. I can watch the final round of the United States Open. I don't know if I can watch celebrities playing. Like, I love Allen. I don't think I can watch you play golf because you're not a pro. I recorded it and then watched like a my own homemade truncated version of it last night after the hockey game ended at like 1130 at night. And it, I will say that there were some moments. There were some moments that I appreciated. But it's funny when you're talking about this, not being able to watch uh, celebrities do this. 
I was talking with some friends at a Memorial Day party over the weekend, and one of them made a great point. Golf is really fucking expensive, and it's one of those games where physicality doesn't really trump experience. I would argue it's the most expensive sport to play. Probably. Other than, like, it's and what what's right behind it? Youth hockey? Hockey, <laughs> like, hockey is okay. 100% up there. Youth hockey? Oh, my God. I, bought, I went to buy a stick a couple weeks ago. And I generally price range like a hundred bucks. I had to go to like three places to find a stick because there were sticks that were like three hundred and thirty dollars <laughs> for a hockey stick. <laughs> what? And that's just the stick. So factor in gloves, shin pads, especially skates. Skates are dropping five hundred dollars on a pair of skates. Helmets are expensive. Helmets are like one fifty now. Like just to deck out in hockey equipment is insane and i just i know you like to ride on me for playing adult roller hockey but my my fee to my team for the summer 228 dollars that's see like and that's what i'm talking about like that's that's crazy now when you think about that dynamic in terms of the competitors who were out there for the match and where they are in their lives the old guys have a built-in advantage in that regard because they've had decades where they've been highly paid athletes with a lot of disposable income and had the ability to play. Each of them has at least like a 14-year window where they were getting paid, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, being in their late 30s, early 40s, mid-40s, they've had at least a decade apiece where they've been highly paid, well-recognized athletes. Maybe they got comped some play, some tea times here and there at some really great courses. They could pay their way to go fly around the world and play. Meanwhile, Josh Allen has spent his summers basically rebuilding his mechanics and improving his game just so he could get to the point where he caught his first payday. Pat Mahomes, he plays a lot of golf, but he's kind of in the same boat, isn't he? Yeah. These are the, these are the nouveau rich playing nouveau rich meets old money. (laughs) Mahomes got his contract before he won the Super Bowl, right? I want to say that that's correct. Yeah, so, like, he got his money. But so, with that in mind, these old guys were going to have a level of savvy that these young guys just don't have. Because by default, they've played a lot more golf. And unfortunately, even if you're a moose, and you think you leave, there's a reason Bryson DeChambeau, this is how little I know about golf, but what I do know from watching my father-in-law watch golf. Bryson DeChambeau has a ferocious tee shot. He is the Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes of golf. Yeah, and even he doesn't win that often because physicality doesn't mean that you're great at the sport of golf. Yeah, just because you can drive a par four doesn't mean you're going to two-putt your way to a birdie on that hole. No! Like, he can drive the ball long distance, and that's about it. I mean, Kevin Sylvester had a great tweet. He's uh, He runs the T to Green show on the radio. It's Kevin Sylvester, uh, Brian... Uh, Koziel. Brian Koziel says Josh Allen is playing like somebody who is concentrating on football, and that's a good thing for Bills Mafia. <laughs> I think that that's about fair, because I saw a lot of tweets that also echoed the sentiment that watching all four of these guys play golf made people feel better about their own golf game. Like, I, I suck at golf, but some of what I saw out of them, I was like, all right. 
I don't even think they That's played. Right. I don't even think they played a whole eighteen. I think they no, just played, they like played twelve. Which twelve some, holes? Some jerk off called into the radio station to complain about that. I would have hilarious. Too. I would have too if I had that much time on my hands. Where I was like, I gotta call a radio <laughs> station and let them know that I don't like people playing twelve holes of golf. I was left with two takeaways. One, the Charles Barkley might be one of the best things to ever happen to commentating sporting events. Like, I want Charles Barkley commentating everything from now on. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but uh, as somebody like myself who follows sports media news. Oh, I know. It's coming to an end. He's retiring at a specific age. I know. And it sucks because I want him narrating everything. I want him commentating my day to day. I I want him commentating my softball performances. Can you imagine the, the scathing critiques? <laughs> I could only imagine what Charles Barkley would have to say about you eating just a straight cucumber in the truck <laughs> while you drive to work. Oh, what was it? Uh, he, he had a couple. He had a couple great ones. Uh, he well, first he was talking about how uh, Josh Allen fired like his second or third shot like into the crowd. And he was like, we're going to kill somebody on TV here today. It's going to happen. And then he followed up later with, uh, he goes, if I get hit, it's going, it's not going to be TNT anymore. It's going to be TNT Charles Barkley. I'm going to sue the hell out of you guys. <laughs> Can you imagine just standing in the gallery and catching a Josh Allen low screamer right to the, right to the, like the side, like right in the, like in right the ribs, you, like the kidney shot. <laughs> You see it coming and you turn and that's all you can do is turn your back and you just take it and like right in the kidneys. Oh yeah, I'd, I'd go I I would I would go down like Roger Dorn in Major League. When when uh, Lou Brown says you got or no, it was, I, mean, I think it was Major League 2 where uh, Jake Taylor tells Dorn, you know, to to turn into one and take one for the team and get on base. Oh, oh God. That, that's, that's a, that's what he, that's the quote from the movie. Oh God. Oh God. Uh. That's what I would be like if I got hit with a screamer from Allen on the course. Oh my God. It's, it's funny. Like, I guess it, it was an interesting watch. I'm happy that they did it. It's, I mean, most Chris, wasn't most of that like the everyone's like oh they're gonna banter and they're gonna trash talk how much of that's like it, it almost felt forced the way like these new comedy like the way comedy central roasts it's like you didn't write that you didn't come up with that off the top of your head these are all canned things that people have fed you some some shitty comedian working for 12 dollars an hour wrote these jokes for you oh well um if you guys listen to uh josh allen on after the snap he said he if they were going to get behind. He was going to be the best shit talker. I buy that. Because, I, I mean, knowing Blake and Reed, I had to send them a text. Do you want me to cut out the word shit? <laughs> and they said yes. You're like, yes, yes. Do not let profanity grace our airwaves. Yeah. Fucking I'd, hilarious. I had to cut that out. If you've listened to the interview, go check out what an amazing edit that was by yours truly. Yeah, that's after the snap in their interview with... Uh, Josh Allen, if there's any takeaway I have from this before we move on to actual OTA talk, it's that Josh Allen has got to stop losing to geezers at the buzzer. Like, what is it with him getting beat by these old as shit quarterbacks? What is that? I don't know. <laughs> he lost to Brady at the buzzer, to Ryan Tannehill at the buzzer. It's like, it, it, so somehow, like, what, if you're over the... Hopefully, hopefully... 
Like this sets up because this is it. Rogers stealing victory from Josh Allen at the last second. Hopefully, now that he's seen it, this doesn't become like a theme because we gotta we gotta play them later this year. Yeah. Hopefully, things go a little bit differently the next time we see Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers on a green together. Ah. So in terms of what's going on with the rest of the team at OTAs, there were some things I found at least noteworthy enough to come on here on a podcast, have five beers and talk about. Is it punt God? My first, I, you know what? We'll start with it because you're chomping at the bit to talk about this. And I will indulge you, Chris, <clears throat> because I'm flexible. I'm flexible because after seven years of podcasting with you, I've learned a few things about being a professional. I mean, what's not, not to, many. what's not like to, what's not to like about, I think it was Matt Beauvais tweeted out where he just punted the ball to the fucking moon. I, it, how do you not like that? Are we the only fan base in football that's capable of making a video of a punter go viral? Probably. <laughs> you want, what? you want, Go find me a video of Matt Hawk doing that. It the, doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. I, I, I will I will agree with you. And there were some great tweets by people not of the Bills ilk. I think my favorite was just uh, uh, Pat McAfee. Bomb town. <laughs> Bomb town. Population. <laughs> Population. Eraser. <laughs> yeah, we just need him to go to the uh, Nate Geary School of Holding yeah this summer that really that's his only if he's doing i mean the media is only allowed for a certain portion is that correct for otas they are so how many punts do they get to see well is he doing that all day long for what they saw he had a cut he had had some decent punts only one true bomb which obviously is the one that went viral but for me there's an interesting note here is it return? Is it Metariza? Is it Ariza? Ariza? We just asked Reed this, and I already drank enough to forget. Ariza? Ariza. Call in if you know. Uh, through two weeks, the Bills have only utilized Matt Hawk as a holder during live kicking drills. Yeah, well, his contract says they can cut him in camp, so that's what's going to happen. Just teach this kid how to hold so we can cut you. No, but here's the thing they haven't let that kid hold at all in live kicking situations because he's still learning. He's so, go, I guarantee Seagram's bet. Ready? Well, hold, hang on. Hold that thought because I've got some things I got to get out of here before you try to bait me into this. There's a reason that I'm going to say everybody who's on this, the punk God train needs to take a deep breath. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Goose Fraba and temper your expectations a little bit. Because what that tells me, if they're not letting him do it now and he's not taking reps at all in the act of doing this thing that he can't do that's vital to the game, means that they either, one, don't think he's close because they've seen him do it behind closed doors, obviously. So they either don't think he's quote unquote there yet, or maybe a little bit more concerningly, they simply aren't comfortable turning that job over to a rookie. And this is what gives me pause. And I want you to hear me out on this. Let's not sit here and act like Sean McDermott wouldn't avoid playing a younger player simply because of his experience and age rather than talent. He's given us way too many examples of this over the course of his career here. Uh, Matt Milano against Ramon Humber. Where the fuck is Ramon Humber now? But he stole at least half that 2017 season. Yeah. At least half. Matt Milano, it took a coming out party against the Raiders for him to finally be McDermott to be like, all right, maybe this kid knows what he's doing. I'll start giving him more time. But he was behind him on the depth chart, even though everyone with a set of eyeballs could tell that he was better. Here's another one that's kind of damning. Levi Wallace against an entire gang of shitty quarter cornerbacks in 2018. Legitimately in a season where your cornerback two packs his bags and quits the NFL in a locker room in a game during a game while there's still time on the clock. And then your next man up, Philip Gaines, gave up, gives up a whopping 168 combined yards in two games. <laughs> McDermott finally just has to pull the plug on that and send him packing too. Before each of those atrocities happened, Wallace couldn't get on the field until there wasn't another option. I refuse to believe that he didn't look just as adequate as he did in practice. Like, because down the stretch, they were like, I remember Pro Football Focus being like, oh, Levi Wallace is quietly having like a really strong end of the season. His coverage grades are great. He's not giving up a ton of yards in coverage. He's quietly like a very good cornerback right now for the Buffalo Bills. And it kind of coincided with that win streak we went on down the stretch of the season because all of a sudden we don't have a sieve at cornerback two. And everyone's staying away from Trey White because they realize, oh, shit, this kid's good. And even then, they marginalized Levi Wallace. They made him wait until they didn't have any other options before they let him see the field. Even though the the guy ahead of him, Philip Gaines, like, I don't know if he's still in the NFL. I don't know if he, I doubt it, just based on how poorly he's played. But, like, that's ridiculous. Josh Allen versus Nathan Peterman. Lest we all forget. 2018 rolls around and the Bills decide that Nathan Peterman is a better week one starter than Nathan than, than Josh Allen. And if that human turnover machine hadn't cratered worse than the plane from the movie Alive, Allen never would have seen the football field in the early goings of the 2018 season. Despite the fact that if you looked at the two of them, you'd question whether they were the same species. That's how different an athlete Josh Allen is than Nathan Peterman. Can we get to my Seagram's bet? I got one more for you because it's right. recent. All right. Boogie go. Basham and AJ Epinesa. And this is what it's a sore spot because there's still some people out there who want to believe Epinesa has some Hayden production that he hasn't harnessed. 
I don't know. The the snap count was 30% Epinesa, 18% Basham, and Basham put up one and a half more sacks, four more tackles, and double the tackles for loss. But the team deferred to Epinesa constantly until the end of the season. Obviously, specialists aren't in the same vein as regular roster players, but you can't ignore that this is a trend. It's a theme for Sean McDermott. He genuinely believes that earning your way onto the field is the best way. And while not wholly infallible, it's produced some solid results. Guys like Matt Milano, Teron Johnson, Saran Neal, Spencer Brown, Levi Wallace. You did win a Seagram's bet with me, Chris. You did, in that we would draft a punter. Yeah, I also called the round. Okay. Can we so, get, do you wanna... so you pulled a Muhammad Ali on me. Yeah. You, you also called the round that you, you landed your shot. What is this Seagram's bet you'd like to make with me? Okay, you slightly mentioned it just now. They're not asking Matt Ariza to go between man and cover as a cornerback or reading a defense like Allen versus Peterman. Yeah, because Peterman could really read a fucking defense. He he could because he threw it to him. This is... (laughs) Ariza... Look, I know... I still don't have a beer in each hand. Yeah, you do. You <laughs> double fisting. I know what they're asking Ariza to do directly involves points. We just want you to hold this football down. You may cost us one point. You may cost us three points. We haven't seen him hold yet. It's going down just behind closed doors. Seagram's bet preseason Game one, the first field goal attempt will be held by Matt Ariza because it's we got to know what we have here. Is he can he do it in a game? Let's get him out there immediately. I'll take that bet, and here's why. We'll write it down on the board. Matt Hawk is here because the team realized that they had a weapon in Tyler Bass and needed a better holder. They got a guy who in a dome can hit it from 62-63. It just needs a clean snap and a clean hold. Clean snap is good. We can They can do that. And they were willing to sacrifice Bohorquez's leg strength in order to achieve a better hold. They yes. were willing to say, here's a punter who doesn't, he doesn't have a booming leg. He's not any more consistent than this guy was, but he's got one part of his game that is elite. I'd, l- I'd like to let our listeners know, pause the podcast right now and go tell me how Mason Crosby did kicking this past season. <laughs> Just go do it right now. Go look it up. Tweet at us. It wasn't good. No, so this is my point, though. Because of the holder. They sacrificed him to get a better holder and never look back. That's why they signed Manhawk to a three-year deal. Not a one, not a two, like a, hey, a try it. We'll try to pivot. and They restructured him, though. Okay. But the fact remains that they, they made a philosophical shift at the punter position to achieve a certain goal, and you can argue they did it. So in that way, I doubt they radically change course on that decision in one single offseason unless they know for a fact that that newcomer can provide consistency on both fronts. Not just punting, not just giving me a 78-yard punt once a week, but also you have to be able to make sure that you're not Corey Bohorquez 2.0. Just dr- because I'll tell you what, Reed's too nice to say it, so I'll say it on his behalf. Chris, you and I would watch those games and we'd watch the missed field goals and you could see Reed. Reed doesn't get mad. I mean, he's Mr. Nice. 
He's Mr. Nice. Yeah. And at the same time, you go back and you look at those games and you see him looking at Bohorquez after the misses. He's seething. He is visibly seething. That's not going to fly. <laughs> it's not going to fly. So what a practice squad designation to start the season. Knowing that he's got a default, he's got a stronger leg by default. Arise Would that be a mistake in your eyes for no. the Buffalo Bills? Arise is the punter. I'll Seagram's that, that he's the punter. Okay. He wins the job and holds the first kick? He hold, Two separate bets. Yeah. He's going to hold. Oh, the, you're getting diabetes now. He's going to hold the first kick in the first preseason game. I'm glad you're so confident. Okay, I hope training camp, I hope training Rick, camp goes your way. It's going to be first game, first field goal or extra point attempt. All right, new kid, let's see what you got. And right. He's going to go out there and, and hold it like a boss. Well, you have just put yourself firmly in Wilford Brimley's camp if you're wrong. I wish I could grow his mustache. I would do that, too. <laughs> you, with that haircut and a mustache, we'd have to shoot you. Like, we would have to, like, right. Th- you're allowed one offensive hairstyle. If you grew, like, a, like a Barnum & Bailey like handlebar mustache or a big woolly mustache or even I think even the Teddy Roosevelt's too far for you. No, I don't have the uh, upper lip power to grow that that thick. You saw Yulberg's mustache. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. that thing commands authority. That's a Teddy Roosevelt all day, and I loved it. Yeah, you can't rock that. I cannot grow what Yulberg had on his upper lip yeah, because because you you don't command enough authority to wear it. No, I I, just, I don't have the growing power. You you look like you're the guy who like if I I bet you if you tried to grow one you'd have a pencil mustache, right? Like uh, like Cap like Captain Hook from the cartoon version of Peter Pan. I could do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman as Dustin, Hook. Dustin Hoffman. That's, oh my god. Well, he had the like curly, like the curled up mustache. I will, Either one would look absurd on you because you're only allowed one stupid hair decision. I'll have I could do that and then um Mine's my back hair. Yeah. <laughs> Zing! Oh god. Yeah, we could do, we could do that uh for Halloween this year cuz we we do play the Packers. All right. Halloween, I could grow a a pencil thin mustache and Oh my god. It being uh it, it being Halloween, I could show up to the game cuz I'm going to be at the Packer game. I hope your girlfriend a, kicks you out. A, I hope I hope your landlord evicts you over that mustache. Approved by <clears throat> a, already approved by work, I can come in dressed as Hook. Dustin Hoffman Hook with a pencil mustache. Rock it out. Jesus. So next up on the docket, Marquez Stevenson. Marquez, your hands. Woof. (laughs) 2021, the team goes into the season feeling pretty good about giving Isaiah McKenzie a legitimate chance to be wide receiver, kick returner, punt returner. Because he ended 2020 really strongly in that regard. And that lasted about eight to nine weeks. And then, despite being a top 10 returner, the ball security issues, I think, were just too much. They were just too much. So the Thanksgiving game rolls around, and Marquez Stevenson is out there, and he's now returning kicks and punts. They pivot to him. Stevenson put up similar return numbers, but had the same lack of ball control. And so by the time the playoffs rolled around, Micah Hyde is now fielding kicks and punts for us. That was fucking embarrassing, wasn't it? It was. So obviously young players can grow, they can learn, they can develop. But for uh, Matt Rich Warren of Buffalo Rumblings, uh, Ryan Sullivan, 
And the rest of you Stevenson truthers out there, you better batten down the hatches because it's been rough out there for his start of OTAs. The guy has been credited with multiple drops, both on returns and in the form of passes from both Keenum and Barkley. And that's bad news because while he did have a limited sample size, Khalil Shakir whom the Bills traded up to get in the fifth round of the draft this year, not only possesses the same long speed that Stevenson does, but when you look at the numbers for his career in college, kick returns, he didn't get used there all the time, but when he did, he averaged 23.8 yards per return. And then he had seven kick returns total, right, over four years. If you take out his one rep in 2019 that only went for 10 yards, his average jumps to 26.2. They drafted Shakir with a plan in place for him. What do you think the odds, Chris, that without showing significant improvement, they'd give Stevenson a better shot than Shakir at making the roster? I think he's on the uh, outside looking in. Yeah. For, for sure at this point with Sh- Shakir. I mean, I'm going mean, to I'm gonna assume... Uh, there's an argument to be made. Well, you finish. I was just saying, I'm just going to assume that you guys might see Brett Coleman on the show because he did put out a video about Shakir... And I don't know why an NFL content creator is going to, I'm using air quotes, waste, I don't know, two over 200 hours of your time breaking down a fifth-round wide receiver. No, he some, firmly believes that player has some thing, some something to his game that's worth paying attention to. He believes in Khalil Shakir. Our team believes in him at least more than they do Stevenson because think about it like this. If Stevenson had shown them because they're not just watching the Sundays that we see. Yeah. They're watching in the building. They're watching practice every day. They're watching how he prepares, wh- how he's regarded around the building. If they felt like it was necessary to go get Khalil Shakir when they had a Marquez Stevenson on the roster, I don't know. If Stevenson had done his job well, maybe Shakir's not here. Like That's fair to question, correct? Possibly, but... So that's she, be- well. Shakir's got more use in the wide receiver game than Stevenson does. Yes. What did uh, Schofield say? Because I hate bringing up you being slight—I don't want to say slightly right—but if you listened last year to our wide receiver show, Drew asked about Stevenson before we ever drafted him, <sighs> and Schofield had said, "Like, well, you know, you're just going to want him to turn on the Jets and just do go routes." So yeah, I that's guess, it. That's all he's got. Yeah, so I guess right now there, there, there's no versatility to his game from what you get with Shakir. Shakir can apparently, I mean, I've watched the Brett Coleman video. He can do punt and kick. He can line up in the slot. He can line up outside. It's more of a swift Swiss Army knife than uh So there's a re- it's a real problem if you're Marquez Stevenson or anybody who bought his jersey last year. Um, be careful. Because there's a good chance he's he when train it'll be interesting to see how his OTA performance here and his mini camp performance <clears throat> dictate what happens in training camp when it comes to his snap counts. Now we've just talked about two things. That, you know, I feel like we've been kind of negative. I want to talk about some positive things. Uh, we didn't come here to bitch and complain all night. That's not what we do. Especially Chris. I mean, listen, I'm I'm here for a party, right? I don't know about that. You love to complain. <laughs> I do. It's because I'm a bitter, 
Just I'm, I'm black and dead inside. I mean, I don't know how many times I have to tell our listeners, I've seen you call a pizzeria complaining about their pizza while eating the pizza. Because I need them to know it was bad. And they're like, well, okay, well, do you want to return it? No, I just need you to know it was bad. <laughs> I just want you to hear it. I want you to hear my voice when I say, you botched this, this, and this. Some, here's some specific critiques. Don't let it happen to anyone else because the next person who calls probably won't be this cool about it. Or half in the bag. I don't know. Take your pick. First of all, before he missed OTAs, Allen was flashing early chemistry with their wide receivers, and everyone was applauding about it. They're talking about, oh, Gabe Davis catching bombs. Isn't that what you expect? from? Uh, we're, we're a team that's being talked about as going to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I'm going to want to see Gabe Davis run you expect, number two routes. But you expect to see chemistry. Because they've built it. They've yeah, worked on he's it. Been it's here. the reason everybody thinks that this offense can succeed. What I was actually impressed by was Mitch Morse. Now, he spent two weeks talking up everybody. Everybody. Uh, well, what did he say about uh, Ken Dorsey? He's, he thinks the, the Holy Spirit comes out of him a little bit. Which we didn't even get to talk about Ken Dorsey. Uh, I haven't seen him since the 02 national title game. Yeah. Now, it's like I didn't watch the press conference of him. I saw that it was available, and I saw like a, a thumbnail. He looks like a high school science teacher. <laughs> he's he's the only person though in the building who can, besides Tremaine Edmonds, who can actually like stand toe to toe and look Josh Allen in the eyes. He's that tall. He's six five. He's every inch of it. He. I watched that press conference. Let's talk about Ken Dorsey because I'm excited about this. Before I talk about Mitch Morse. He said the Holy Spirit comes out of Ken Dorsey sometimes when he gets fired up, which is interesting because you hear his press conference. First off, he makes a Talladega Nights reference. Cool. All right. All right. I can get behind that. I can get behind this. He's plugged in with the young players on this team. And, you know, they talk about his aggressiveness. They talk about things. I guess one of the biggest talking points, I mean, they made pro football talk was that he talked about whether or not he like he's still trying to gauge whether he'll call plays from the booth or from the field. I found that interesting because I feel as though Brian Dable being sent to the booth was a punishment. Didn't you take it that way? No. I remember ju- no cuz it came immediately after the week where Sean McDermott basically came out and said, "I need my offense to be X Y and Z." And I need this, and we need that, and this has to come from our offense, and we're going to do more. I think it was after the Browns game that we lost back in 2019. And the next week, Brian Dable was up in the booth. <laughs> I was like, oh, and then the offense was humming. And it's like maybe he felt like he needed to be farther away from the players and focus on his own aspect of this. But if you're in the booth, don't you get a better read on the defensive coverage? So 100%. When you, when you come down for halftime... And that's where this thing breaks down is when you look at the difference between the two, because people go, well, it's not that different. No, it is. Brian Dable showed us why it's so much different. You've got a guy sitting up in the booth who can now see who's on the field for the defense and can radio down like, hey, they're putting, I, I know the numbers. We've looked at all the tape. We know what their numbers are. We know where their DBs are. They're putting three safeties on the field. Don't be afraid to check into this. They're within that 15 to 20 second window on the play clock where they're still allowed to talk to the quarterback. He's putting these things because he can see them developing from up in the booth. And you watched our offense start to hum when Brian Dable got up there in the booth and was able to communicate that down to Josh Allen. 
I understand this thing of Ken Dorsey's where he goes, you know, you like the vibe. You like being down there on the sideline. That Gabe Davis flat out said Dorsey is a huge person. This is a quote. Dorsey Dorse has a huge personality. He gets fired up quick, so he's going to have to be in the box. We can't have him out here on the field, so if he hears this, he needs to know that he's definitely going to be in the box all year. Being with the guys and being able to get their feedback, not just the quarterback and not just like, hey, can you put a get this guy in the phone, get that guy in the phone, I need to pick his brain. Being able to go talk to the player is obviously important in terms of play calling. But so is being able to see the field, see the guy, see what the defense is doing firsthand from that all to, you know, like the coaching video angle and be able to look at it or at least from the sideline and be like, hey, here's where this might go. Here's some options pre-snap for Josh Allen. Chris, we didn't see Josh Allen audible a ton in the passing game until Brian Dable went to the booth, did we? Seems about right. So if Ken Dorsey decides he's going to come down to the field, there's a chance that that affects, maybe not. Maybe Josh Allen sees the field so well that he doesn't need any assistance. But maybe there exists a world where he needs a little bit of help on that front. I don't know. I think that whatever decision he makes on that front actually does carry some gravity. I really believe that. So I'm I'm really interested to see how that plays out, but I'm I like most of what I heard from him, especially the fact that he wants to be aggressive. He wants to be aggressive most of the time, which tells me that when you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC divisional round, and you see that you're throwing the ball just at will, like hey, they they can't stop us. You don't start the second half wasting two straight drives trying to incorporate your running backs, do you? No. No. Right there. Knock on wood. I'll never have to have a meltdown like that again. Also, Mitch Morse. Mitch Morse had some really nice things to say. Obviously, he was talking. That's what sent me down the rabbit hole. He had some really nice things to say about pretty much everybody. But he went out of his way to talk about Roger Saffold and how the communication between him, right, is that just a veteran thing? It is. And so this is a this is a real talking point here with Mitch Morse that I think most Bills fans aren't, I don't know, you don't think of when you think of the makeup of our offensive line. Mitch Morse went out of his way to talk about how the communication was already way ahead of where he expected it to be and that his experience makes that process easy. I mean, what do you call him? He called him one of the old CBA guys, quote unquote. And that and that pointed out that that's uncommon, at least for him. And when you take a look, you know, because they're developing chemistry very quickly. If you've looked at how the Bills have constructed their roster since 2019 when Mitch Morse got here, look at the guys he ended up playing most of his regular season snaps with. In 2019, Quentin Spain was a three-year starter for the Titans who weren't, they weren't sure what he was, so they let him walk. John Feliciano was a career backup who landed a starting job. 2020, Cody Ford was a second-year player who failed as a right tackle and got shuffled to guard. And John Feliciano, who now has one year as a starter in terms of experience. 2021, Cody Ford, third-year player. Ike Bakker, two-year player, at least in terms of getting starting experience. And Feliciano, two years of starting experience. Since he's been here in Buffalo, they've had nothing but 
I guess, underexperienced guys riding shotgun with him there in the middle of the interior offensive line. So it's probably a breath of fresh air for Mitch Morse. He's got another grizzled vet on the offensive line with them who's over the age of 30. They can talk about how close they are to the AARP membership card showing up in the mailbox. They can talk about the good old days of football, right? Because they had some. I think that that's really important to what's going to go on with the Bills offensive line this year, and I'm really excited about it. Because, I don't know, they're already getting the conversation down about protection concepts, verbiage, communication, the things tendencies that like, Hey, when I do this, I like, I'd prefer it if you did this, or here's what I'm looking for when I move this way, or when I pick up a guard this way, this is what I think I'm more successful when my center does this to combo block. They can have those high level conversations. He can't have that with Cody Ford. Can he? No, no. I think that this is good. Saffold is going to be a breath of fresh air for this offense. I mean, the pads aren't even on, and I'm already excited about this group. And I think that the last one is just Von Miller in that defensive end group. Yeah, His ripple effect on both sides of the trenches. Uh, Dawkins praised him. Dawkins was praising Von Miller as one of the most freakish players he's ever had to go up against in a practice setting. Uh, Miller basically took the whole tackle group for a, a joyride. <laughs> just railroaded all of them throughout the course of practice so far. And he spent a lot of time working with the young guys on the roster, Groot and Boogie especially, acting as kind of this on-field coach that everyone assumed he would be when we signed him to that monster contract. That is going to be one of the major storylines, not just through camp, but through the entire 2022 NFL season. Because divesting themselves of Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison free agency, it comes as something of a gamble. A little-known fact for Bills fans, as a byproduct of the team's efforts to get younger and cheaper and hopefully more impactful at the defensive end position, this is the first time since McDermott arrived here as a rookie head coach back in 2017 that he doesn't have at least two defensive ends on the roster over the age of 29. Does that surprise you? It's interesting. Yeah. There's a real lack of not just mental maturity, not just NFL experience, but also physical maturity. You know, people were complimenting Greg Rousseau. They're like, oh, you look a little bit heavier. You look bigger. You look more muscular. Yeah, because he's a kid still learning how to join the ranks of NFL football players. <laughs> he, These guys have a lot. I don't know. They, they don't have a ton of what we're used to seeing on that front that our coordinators and our coaches can lean on. And by McDermott's own admission, he's aware of the work that has to be done there. And the leaps that are going to have to be taken. This is his quote from uh, Sal Mariana at the Democrat and Chronicle. This is going to be a big offseason for those guys. They're in a position where they have to. We need them to really grow and develop and make a mark on our defense. And not just in a supporting role, but in a primary role. Out of all the players in the depth chart right now, Chris, who do you genuinely believe has the ability to ramp up their game? On the offensive line? On the defensive line. Defensive the guys who are going to be learning from Von Miller and taking pointers. and Because Greg Rousseau may, went out of his way to be like, hey, he's like a coach on the field. He's And you heard Aaron Donald talk all about how Von Miller made him a better professional. That's the ripple effect of signing a guy like that. Could be long arms there, Rousseau. Do you think Rousseau? Yeah. I think Basham 
He's my number one. But he if, if we're talking about... He pure, doesn't get on the field as much. Well, and this is it. If we're talking about who stands to gain the most from learning from Von Miller, it's probably Basham. If we're talking about just the amount of variance they could provide with his tutelage or without it, because his game was one that it didn't come with all the accolades that Rousseau's final collegiate season did. Like what? Rousseau had 15 sacks the last time he was on a college football field before we drafted him. Yeah, 15 sacks and then COVID and then we drafted him. Yeah. Okay. So his final collegiate season was viewed as they came with all these like this pomp and circumstance. Basham's didn't have all all of that, but his game was a little bit more roundly developed in terms of pass rush moves, his ability to stack them together in order to get a job done. His physical makeup means he doesn't have to change that much in order to be effective against the run. Look what happened to AJ Epinesa. He came here Cam Hayward's size, and now they've got him playing like they, he's supposed to be Jerry Hughes. I think from year one to year two, he has the most room for improvement and the, the best likelihood of improving on that level of any defensive end on the roster. It's not a slight to Rousseau, but this is a guy that led the NFL in solo run stops as a rookie, right, for all edge players. And he's still finding his way as a consistent pass rush threat. I just think that the floor is set higher for Rousseau than it is for the rest of these guys. Chris, if I came to you and said Rousseau finished the season with six sacks, you wouldn't be shocked. No. You'd say, okay, that's kind of what I was hoping for. Yeah. If Boogie Basham finishes the season with seven and a half sacks, you'd say, wow, all right, that's a great season. Yeah, because he didn't play at all last year. Exactly. We kept him on the uh, inactive list for most of the season. And that was because of A.J. Epinesa, who I think is fighting for his life at this point. Because I look at the numbers, the fact that we signed Shaq Lawson, I think is insurance in case A.J. Epinesa doesn't have another gear. It's going to be a five-man rotation. He'll still make the roster probably, but look at this. Epinesa, career-high 13 pressures in 2021. Shaq Lawson had a career-low 13 pressures in 2021. Less than half of his career-high in his final season with the Bills. Epinesa, 22% missed tackle percentage. Lawson, 8. Lawson has graded out better against the run than Epinesa every single season of his career. Lawson's a better player than A.J. Epinesa has ever been. If that guy doesn't step it up... He, Chris, is it crazy for me to say that he's playing for his career at this point? Could be. I think that he... Ha- from what well, I don't want to give you any credit because I don't want you to be right. <laughs> They're talking in OTAs. What I'm not hearing is about AJ Epinesa, and that's concerning. I'm not hearing that he's making any strides. I'm not hearing that he looks better. And and maybe that'll come once they put the pads on and what's. But usually, doesn't that trend the other way? Like defensive players always look better with no pads on. Yeah. Okay. In shorts. So the fact that I'm not hearing anything about him is concerning to me. He's gonna need a big camp, and right now it just sounds like he's getting off on the wrong foot. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how Von Miller's tutelage can fix all of that. I love that Chris is tapping his watch at me quietly. Like, Chris, it would be funny if you just had an air horn and you could blow it at me for all the times you're like, wrap it. Or just get the wrap it up box from Chappelle. (laughs) Yeah. We'll tear down the fourth wall for our listeners. Chris is constantly hassling me about the time. And he finds creative ways to do it, but I think you need to dig a little bit deeper. You need to get more theatrical with it. I just stop recording. I just end it now. <laughs> I just press stop over here. Just press stop. Record the uh, record the uh, outro when I'm gone. Yeah. 
All right, guys. Well, this has been fun. OTAs are, you know, mini camps about to start. We'll see what comes out of that. And then we'll get together and we'll prognosticate about what to expect in camp. We've got a lot of interesting content this summer coming up. We're going to try to do things a little bit differently than what you might get everywhere else. That might be good. It might be bad. But either way, spaces. we're all going to have a couple beers together. Oh, yeah. Spaces are coming. We're going to have a lot of fun with this summer. It's going to be great. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.